Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. Today we're going to present a message that we actually preached on Independence Day here of 2020. You know, recently a United States Senator actually had the audacity to get on the floor of the Senate and lie. Well, that's not a surprise. There are a lot of Senators that get on the floor and lie. But this man, Senator Kane, actually came out and said that America invented the institution of slavery. Well, and even a nominal Bible student knows that's not true. We know the first slave mentioned was Joseph when he was sold into the Midianite slave trade and ultimately, of course, the whole people of Israel were enslaved by Egypt. Well, today we're going to preach a message on liberty and we're going to present truth and we're going to talk about the history of slavery and the history of slavery in the Bible and the history of slavery in America. We hope that you enjoy today's message. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Here's Pastor Paul Blair. We will read a text of Scripture from Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requit us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said unto them, Why are you afraid? For am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear not. I will nourish your, you and your little ones. And, will be comfor- and, and, and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Well, of course, everyone that's been to church knows about Joseph. The 11th of an eventual 12 sons of the patriarch Jacob. The first and at that time only son of Jacob with his wife Rachel. And he was, of course, dad's favorite. We're all familiar with Joseph's coat of many colors. We don't know all the details surrounding it. It may have been a talith, a prayer shawl with the family uh, colors on it. Whatever it was, his father clearly demonstrated that Joseph was his favorite. By the way, dads, that is not a good idea. Not a good idea at all. You love all of your kids. You know, I've heard it said like this. You know, when you, when you have children, you wonder, can I love the second one as much as I love the first one? Can I love the third one as much as I... Yes, you can. Because you're not dividing one fixed amount of love. It's kind of like taking a candle and lighting other candles. There's more and more and more and more light, but the light from that first candle is not diminished at all. 
So you love your kids, each and every one of them, uh, unconditionally, and you love them equally. Obviously, Jacob did not. That caused all sorts of problems. Joseph, as he was growing up, had these dreams that God had gave him. One, of course, the, the dream of the 12 sheaves and representing he and his brothers, actually at the time, 11 sheaves, and how the sheave of Joseph stood in the front and the other 10 bowed down before him. Well, his brothers didn't like that at all, as you can imagine. Then Joseph had another dream of, of his father and mother being the the sun and the moon and his brothers being stars and all bowing down before the star of Joseph. Well, as you can imagine, big brothers did not think much of little brother. And one day the big brothers were out watching the family flocks and herds and Jacob sent his son Joseph to go and tend to them, see them, to send them a message and retrieve them. Then scripture says that when he got there, they wound up beating the daylights out of him throwing him into a pit and had planned on killing them when some of the older brothers intervened and said, no, he's our blood. We cannot kill our brother. What did they wind up doing? Well, there happened to be a Midianite caravan passing by. And verse 28 says, then there passed by Midianite merchantmen and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Of course, you all know Joseph was sold into slavery, first into Potiphar's household, like the secretary of state for the Pharaoh of Egypt. And then, of course, false accusations were made against him. He found himself in prison for several years. While there, he was a great testimony of the Lord. And, and, and then eventually, God miraculously lifted him out of the pit and took him right to the palace. And, of course, Joseph, after interpreting a dream of Pharaoh, wound up being commissioned to be the number two man in all of Egypt. And, of course, led in the preparation for the famine that God had forewarned. Well, as time went on, of course, all of Joseph's family, Jacob and all of his kin, were brought to Egypt and lived in the land of Goshen. And they lived there peacefully with great provision. And then over time, after Joseph died, his brothers were scared to death. They had taken Joseph, or, or Jacob, uh, Jacob the, the father, and buried him back in the promised land. And as they came back to Egypt, they were afraid that at this point, Joseph would seek vengeance upon their lives. And Joseph, as you saw in our text this morning, said this, am I in the place of God? Yeah, I know what you did was evil. I know what you did was intended to be evil towards me. However, God had a bigger vision. God could see on down the road. And what you intended for evil, God used for good and saved many people alive, the Scripture says. Folks, the first slave mentioned in the Bible was Joseph. The first slave race mentioned in the Bible was Israel. And for nearly 400 years, the Bible says that they were treated with harsh rigor, but their cries were heard by the Lord, and eventually Israel was freed, and Egypt was hardly pu- harshly punished by the hand of Almighty God. Well, we know also with extra-biblical sources that slavery has existed worldwide since that time. Slavery is documented in the Code of Hammurabi that's dated to 1860 B.C. It's documented in ancient Samaria and ancient Greece and ancient Rome in historic Africa as tribes would conquer other tribes and enslave those tribesmen. Muslim slave traders. It was uh, held throughout Europe, throughout Asia, throughout South America, and yes, even 
in North America. But when Senator Kane gets on the floor of the United States Senate and says, The United States didn't inherit slavery from anybody. We created it. It got created by the Virginia General Assembly and the legislatures of other states. It got created by the court systems in colonial America and sense that enforced fugitive slave laws. It was, we created it. He is just another Democrat who is lying to advance his politics. And Senator Cain, please recognize what the Scripture says about those that intentionally deceive and lie. And I beg you and those with you to please heed the warnings. Fall on your face. Trust Christ as Savior and be a speaker of truth. The differences between the attitudes of slavery in the North and in the Southern colonies can best be learned by tracing each to the fundamental roots of its respective culture. By the way, let me pause and add this parenthetical insert. The Bible says clearly that stealing a man is punishable by death. Not one day, not one man is stealing a man acceptable or right, and God never sanctioned it. Now, God did allow servitude. And if you stole from someone, guess what? You didn't go to jail. You worked it off, plus interest. If you uh, uh, defrauded someone in business, you worked it off, plus interest. If you filed bankruptcy, you could not do that because that's stealing from the person that you borrowed money from. You actually worked it off, plus interest. So you could, in fact, enslave yourself. And by the way, we do the same thing. I'm halfway through a 30-year indentured servitude purchasing the house that Cindy and I live in. Most people get into five years of indentured servitude to purchase their cars. We are well familiar with financing and working it off and paying it off over time. However, stealing a man is always wrong. And the fact that there was even one slave for one day in American history is a soil and a stain on our history. However, America is not the author or the perfecter of slavery, as the liberal press would like you to believe. We have seen already in Scripture the origin of slavery according to the Bible. We've talked about history, the history of slavery worldwide. And we speak as if slavery was something in the past tense today. That is not true. There are estimates of as many as 45 million slaves in the world today. And folks, this is not hard. Everybody's got a Google search engine. You can document and verify all of these things. Historically, African tribes enslaved each other and participated in the slave trade. Historically, Indian tribes in North America enslaved each other and participated in the slave trade. Why don't we hear that in our history classrooms? Or why isn't that taught or promoted amongst the secular press? You know why? Because it doesn't fit the narrative of the hate America first crowd. Again, the differences between the attitude of slavery between the North and the South in America can best be explained by tracing each to its fundamental roots of its respective culture. The pilgrims and the Puritans of New England were largely church families made up of individual family units. You had husbands, wives, children, young men, young women all coming over on ships first to to Plymouth and then to Boston and other settlements. They were coming to stay and to build a new life in the new 
world and as members of these groups which were outcasts from England. They were the Puritans. They were the pilgrims. They were the separatists. They were the rejects. They didn't follow the traditional Anglican church doctrine. They were not aristocrats. According to the pilgrims and Puritans, all men were equal at the foot of the cross. By the way, they worked with and evangelized the Indians. They didn't steal property from the Indians. Check your history. Look up a great Indian named Habamoth. That was the warrior from Massasoit. Habamoth, after about three years, became a Christian. And Habamoth's village was built and stood side by side with Plymouth. And they walked in amongst each other as brothers in Christ, just as we walked down the street. There weren't issues there. As a matter of fact, the longest peace treaty in the history of the United States of America was signed between the Pilgrims and Massasoit. And it lasted for 55 years. Now... The first settlers in the south established Jamestown in 1607. 144 men. No women, no children. Does that sound like they were settling to you? No. They were coming here looking for wealth. They were members of the Anglican Church of England and as such were steeped in society of nobility and gentlemen and class. A gentleman would do no manual labor. He would rather die than betray his class by soiling his hands. So when they landed, they would go and explore and trade with the Indians or raid them, these descendants of the aristocrats or wannabe aristocrats, because they believed that farming was beneath them. And as they arrived, the gentlemen immediately went searching for for pearls among the oyster beds while the laborers unloaded the ship. But you see, the point I'm trying to make is in the South, the old world aristocracy of sophisticate and the working class was established from the very beginning. So we see the seeds of difference that were planted at the birth of each by society. One group fostering a class of society, the other fostering the ideas of aristocracy and laborer classes. And this contrast is most evident with the first introduction of slaves to both the North and the South. W.E.B. Dubois wrote in his book entitled The Suppression of the African Slave Trade to the United States of America from 1638 to 1670, says this, The slave trade in North America commenced with a Dutch ship bringing 20 Africans and 90 women to Virginia in the late August of 1619. Remember, the first settlers were all men, so the women came over at later date. But in 1640, a certain Captain Smith attacked an African village and brought some natives to Massachusetts. Well, what happened to him? He was arrested. And those native Africans were sent back home at the colony's expense. W.E.B. Du Bois. Have you ever been taught that? Probably not. Doesn't support the narrative. However, ladies and gentlemen, as sin creeps in little by little, eventually the presence of black slaves was accepted to differing extents in the colonies. It was never greatly popular in the north, always minimal, with the most serving as house servants. But to the greater extent in the south, we know there were much harsher degrees. But according to the BBC, in a report dated 9-3 of 2001, over four centuries of time from 1450 to 1850, there were some 12 million slaves that were taken to the West. Now, those that were taken to the West, only 4.1% came to North America. 
95.9% went to South America and to the West Indies. Now, according to this same study, also verified by Encyclopedia Britannica, Muslim traders have exported 18 million Africans into the Middle East beginning as early as 650 A.D., in addition to capturing and enslaving 1.25 million uh, white Europeans and Americans with the Barbary pirates around the, the uh, peripheral coasts of Europe. Why is it that we don't ever hear about those figures? Again, it's all because of the narrative. It's all because, remember, America is the great Satan to the rest of the world these days. It's all about bringing down the freedom that we enjoy in the United States of America. Ladies and gentlemen, slavery has existed since the beginning of human history and still exists today. So why is it that we act as if it was only America's sin and then it ended in 1865? As I said a moment ago, there are somewhere between 21 and 45 million slaves in the world today, according to the website In Slavery Now, with Muslim and communist countries topping the list. And five of the top ten nations of the world that still have slavery are all all in the central part of the continent of Africa. Why don't we care about that? Do those black lives matter or not? Well, as we think about the time of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, this was, in fact, a hot debate in the colonies. George Washington, in a letter to Robert Morris, said this, I can only say that there is not a man living who wishes more sincerely than I do to see a plan adopted for the abolition of slavery. Charles Carroll, signer of the Declaration from Maryland, said, Why keep alive the question of slavery? It is admitted by all to be a great evil. Benjamin Rush, a signer of the Declaration from Pennsylvania, said, Domestic slavery is repugnant to the principles of Christianity. It is rebellion against the authority of a common father. It is a practical denial of the extent and efficacy of the death of a common Savior. It is an usurpation of the prerogative of the great sovereign of the universe who has solemnly claimed an exclusive property in the souls of men. Noah Webster, the father of American education, said this, justice and humanity require the end of slavery. Christianity commands it. Let every benevolent pray for the glorious period when the last slave who fights for freedom shall be restored to the possession of that inestimable right. John Adams said this, every measure of prudence therefore ought to be assumed for the eventual total extirpation of slavery from the United States. I have, through my whole life, held the practice of slavery in abhorrence. My opinion against slavery has always been known. Never in my life did I own a slave. And Benjamin Franklin served as president of the Pennsylvania Society for promoting the abolition of slavery, declared slavery is an atrocious debasement of human nature. As a matter of fact, Thomas Jefferson, in his original draft of the Declaration of Independence, one of the grievances against King George was the fact that the colonies at many times had sought to stop the slave trade and even in some of the colonies to make slavery illegal. But in every time, King George overruled him because he was the dread sovereign over all of his territory. But folks, after the Declaration 
Declaration of Independence in 1776, and after fighting a seven-year war to secure it, Pennsylvania and Massachusetts ended slavery in 1780. Connecticut and Rhode Island ended it in 1784. New Hampshire ended it in 1792. Vermont ended it in 1793. New York ended it in 1799. New Jersey ended it in 1804. Did you know this? Why isn't this being taught? Why aren't any members of the media? Certainly, maybe they don't have Google. Maybe they don't have the Internet. Perhaps it's an honest mistake. I don't think so. Why aren't we taught this? In light of everything that's going on as the country is burning down around us, why isn't somebody putting out the truth? The Northwest Ordinance of 1787 governed the admission of new states into the Union from the territories then north and west of the Ohio River. It forbids slavery. Thus, the new states of Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa all prohibited slavery. Slavery was on the way out. And if not for the Democratic Party, check your history. Slavery would have ended 60 years before it did. In fact, it took the first Republican president whose party platform was the cornerstone. Yes, Pastor Fisher was running for governor. His cornerstone was to end the murder of preborn babies in the state of Oklahoma. Hey, the cornerstone of the Republican platform was to end slavery. But Abraham Lincoln eventually made the Emancipation Proclamation. Ladies and gentlemen, many of our founding fathers were hypocritical on this issue. You can't deny the facts. We declared that all men are created equal with unalienable rights from God. Then we refused to identify one section of American citizens as human beings. Well, folks, that was supported and endorsed and kept in place by the Democrat Supreme Court. The Dred Scott decision of 1857, they said that blacks are not actually fully human beings and should not be given uh, uh, unalienable rights from God. We look at that and we say, how insane! How wicked! But that's the exact same thing that's happening today with the murder of 2,500 pre-born children every day in the United States of America. We have the Supreme Court that says, that's not a baby. That's not really a human. Well, tell me, what is that? By the way, anybody, we might not have everybody in here that agrees with me. You might be a so-called pro-abortion Christian. Tell me, what is that? Is that a puppy? A kitty cat? What is it? Why is it that when abortionists rip babies apart in the wombs, which is what they do. You have a living, breathing baby, heartbeat, complete system. They rip the baby apart and piece it together on the tray next to them because they cannot leave any parts inside the mother because it could cause her to be very sick. But they piece together an entire baby. You know why? Because it's a baby. Folks, we did pay for our sin of slavery. 620,000 soldiers died in the war between the states. 
Again, it's always wrong. The Bible calls it sin, and it's a stain on our history. But we cannot ignore it. We cannot change the past. We must remember the good things about America, and we must remember our sins and vow never to repeat them. But as we grieve over our mistakes and we learn from our mistakes, we cannot change the past. But thank God, it only took 74 years from our nation's birth to end slavery in America. We say 74 years, that's too long. Let me ask you, how about Iran today? The Fertile Crescent, the birthplace of civilization. We have slavery documented 3,500, 4,000 years ago. And one of the leading countries of slavery still in the world today is Iran, is Yemen. Look at some of these pictures. Hey, this isn't talking theoretically about some wrong that we did 200 years ago that we can't do anything about. If you want to do something about slavery, we got more slaves in the world today than ever in the 1800s. Why don't we do something about this? Oh, but that doesn't, that doesn't fit the political narrative. That doesn't suit our cause to bring America down. Folks, in America today, we kill 2,500 inconvenient American citizens every day, including an average of 1,876 black babies are killed every day in the United States. But apparently, those black lives don't matter. We refuse to recognize these human beings as human beings, and we legally kill them. Folks, let me tell you this. If the Lord tarries, how will future generations look back on our generations and judge us? It's easy for us to look back at what they did in the year 1600, in the year 1700, and judge them by our current moral standards. How will they in 21... By the way, the millennial generation is strongly pro-life. You know why? Because they've got eyes. They can look at, a, at an ultrasound. They can look at a 4D sonogram. They recognize what we're doing is wrong. It's killing babies. What will historians and what will the activists in the year 2100 think about our generation? I wonder if they'll be... Uh, uh, outside the halls of, of Congress, uh, going in wanting to tear the picture of Nancy Pelosi down off of the wall and burn it because of her devout advocation and support to continue to keep legal the murder of these citizens. And quite frankly, perhaps they'll do the same thing with the portrait of Senator James Lankford, who is a Christian that opposes slavery. Yet why don't these Christian senators rally every day, every year like William Wilberforce did and keep beating their hand on the desk until one day this is too done away with? Instead, we're going to change Columbus Day. Folks, we're not preaching about this this morning, but we will at some point mention in the future. Understand that in the 1950s, all this became public. We had folks that went into the circles of communism as uh, moles, 
and found out the strategy. There was a 45-point plan for the overthrow of America. And again, I don't know if you remember, was it Brezhnev? One of the former Russian uh, heads beat his shoe on the desk and said that they were going to take America down without firing a bullet. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word, and we look forward to being with you next time as we complete this message entitled, The History of Slavery, The History of Slavery in the Bible, and The History of Slavery in America. Until next time, may God richly bless you. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org, or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.